0: This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and a number of the stars, and if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he continued to him as righteousness. And he said to him, But I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, and a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold a smoking firepot, and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kernazites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and Rephaim the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Gergishites, and the Jebusites. You may be seated.
1: And as you're seated, let me pray for us once more. Father, we do come asking you now to speak to us through your word, but by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, on our own, we are unable to really understand the depths of truths and wonders that are found within your word. And so, Lord, please speak to us and change us. God, I pray this morning, would we be a people who are filled with awe and wonder? Would our hearts be warmed? And Lord, would we come to a place where we cling to you more tightly than we ever have before? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this moment, uh being here, I know, I know, Today's not launch Sunday, but it's still a moment of great joy and excitement. To to be here, to to see a church begin to gather, to be encouraged, that that people would say, I'll leave comfort, I'll leave behind familiarity, and I'll be a part of something new, and I'll partner with others in order to see Jesus worshipped in a a new place, That, that brings me so much joy and so much excitement. And yet, the, the moment, the journey to this point um, has not always been easy. Uh, there's been moments wondering if anyone will come. There's been hardship trying to find a place, just asking the Lord, is there anything out there? Is there anywhere we can gather? And if we are together, will, will the finances come? And God, and God, will you provide? And so there's been moments, if I'm honest, of restlessness, sleepless nights, wondering, God, will it be okay? Will it be okay? And I recognize that question, will it be okay, is not a question we ask only when church planting. This past week, I've been very aware that that is a question we ask ourselves. God, will it actually be okay? There's these, there's these moments in our life when it actually just fully feels out of our control. Like, no matter how much I try, I, I can't fix it. And even if there are moments where we feel in control, it's as though we are holding on with everything we have, and we're just not sure how much longer can we actually hold on? Like, how much longer is it until it all slips away, we can't hold on, and it just all falls apart? And we just want to know, God, is it actually going to be okay? In his book, Knowing God... J.I. Packer, he invites his readers to stand and observe a busy transportation terminal. Now, he's from England, and they have trains there, and I'm not going to pretend to ever have been on a train before. So imagine, instead of at a train station, we're, we're at an airport. You, you stand there, and if you look at all of the planes going and arriving, it seems like chaos. Planes are flying east or taking off east that are flying east. And other times, planes are taking off west, but they're also going east. Sometimes planes are delayed. Sometimes planes are rerouted. Sometimes planes are canceled. Planes are crisscrossing. Some planes sit on the terminal or the, the runway for forever. Other planes take off right away. If you're a bystander trying to take it all in, it seems like chaos. Like like there's no reason for what's going on. And yet, Packer says, if you can get into air traffic control, if you can get into the air traffic control tower, you realize that there is someone who sees, who knows what's going on who has you, and who's working it all out. In Packer's analogy, God is the one in the air traffic control center of life. And so my aim this morning is to show us that we have a God who keeps his promises. We have a God who keeps his promises. Our God is good, and he has us. And we can trust his promises because ultimately we can trust him. So my my aim, we're just going to work through the text this morning. No points. You'll get lots of points in the weeks ahead. This morning, we're just going to work through verse by verse and explain as we go. Ready? Here we go. Verse 1. When Abram was 90... Sorry, that's the wrong chapter. Chapter 15, verse 1. That was a test you passed. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Uh, This is not the first time um, Abram is having an interaction with God. The the very first time he actually has an interaction is in chapter 12. So, So listen to this, chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. If you look at those three verses, there is a word that is repeated over and over again. The word is bless. We actually read it five times. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I will bless you. Five times we read that word bless. That's a That's intentional. What the author is trying to show us is that Abram is going to be the means by which God reverses the curse. Because five times in chapters 1 to 11, we read the word curse. It is God and Abram's partnership that is going to reverse the curse on humanity. The Bible tells us that because of our sin, because of our disobedience to God, the world is broken. The world is broken. Our relationship with each other is broken. And our relationship with God is broken. And so God, now through Abram, is going to fix what is broken in the world. And the plan is that both are going to play a part. God has his part. And Abram has his part. There's six promises in those three verses that God makes to Abram. But God also has two commands for Abram. The two commands are go and be a blessing. It's through this partnership, God and Abram, that God is going to fix what is broken in the world. And so we come now to chapter 15, verse 1, our text again. And what God is going to do is he's going to remind Abram of his promise. He's almost encouraging him. Abram, fear not. I'm your shield. Your reward is going to be great. Abram, I'm, I have a promise to you. And I'm, I'm going to work it out. And, and notice now what happens. Verse 2. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. You, you almost hear it in Abram's voice. He's exasperated. He almost feels as though there is no hope. God, you made a promise to me, but I still don't see children. I'm 80 years old, God. My wife is in her 70. Where is your promise? When are you going to work this out? I know what you said, but I don't see it. You want to know something interesting? This is the first time Abram actually talks back to God. Lots of times until now. God's been talking to Abram. But this is actually the first time Abram talks back to God. Sometimes God brings hardship. Sometimes God delays his fulfilling of his promises in order to draw us into a deeper relationship with him. Um, As a pastor... And just this week, I'm with people or have personally experienced great crisis. And I, I don't wish that upon anybody. I don't want anyone to look at their child and go, is, is he going to breathe? And yet, talking to others who go through great trials they would say, even though I would not wish it upon anyone, I am so glad to experience Jesus the way I have. God gives us more of himself. He he draws us into greater intimacy, and, and he plums the depths of relationship with him through hardship. And so often we think, look, if I'm going through a hard time, and the beef I have is with God well, then I must not be able to talk to God. I must have to deal with this on my own before I actually bring my issues to Him. And actually, the reverse is true. God actually wants us to deal with our problems before Him. So let me just encourage you, if you are going through a hard time, talk back to God. Bring Him your struggles and your doubts. God, you said... That all things would work out for the good of those who love him. Where is that, God? Go to God, because actually God wants to give you more of himself. Because look, look at what happens. Okay, verse, verse 4, look at how God responds. And behold, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, talking about Eliezer, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring breed. God, having now just heard back from Abram for the first time, leads him outside, points him up to the Milky Way, those stars looking like clouds, like in midday and says, that's what your offspring will look like. That's how many they will be. It's God's, God's doubling down on his promises. He's, he's like expanding the scope of what he says he'll do to Abram. And so verse six says, and he, that's Abram, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed. Faith is the deciding factor that sealed Abram's relationship with God. Abraham went outside, looked up to the stars, and realized, God must be doing something bigger than I can fathom. God must be up to something bigger than I can do on my own. And so he said, okay, I believe. I'll trust you. In the New Testament, in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul actually quotes verse 6 here, and he says, every single Christian has a moment like that. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. If you have been made right with God, it is because you too have had a moment of faith. Every relationship with God begins by faith. And not just trusting him with one thing. Okay, God, I trust you in this one area of my life. No, it's, God, I just trust you, period. I trust you with everything. My future, My forgiveness, my identity, I find it all in you now. If you are not a Christian this morning, please hear me. It is right and good to want answers. It is. It's good to ask questions, to seek evidence, but you need to know that every single Christian says, my intellect has taken me no further and now I trust in you. My efforts have taken me this far and they take me no further and so now I trust in you. Every Christian has that moment. It's by faith. Listen to the author of Hebrews. He's speaking about Abram here and, and he says this, Hebrews 6, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. Then he says this in verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. So let me ask you, what is the anchor for your soul? What is it that you actually are trusting in? Your finances, your intellect, family, your health, your your goodness, your morality? What have you actually put your trust in? What, what grounds you when the storms of life comes your way? What are, you, what are you holding on to in order that your life might not be shipwrecked? The author of Hebrews says, anchor it in God. He is the sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. And so John Bloom says Abraham trusted God and the world would never be the same after that starry, starry night. And yet, and yet, and yet, life is not easy for Abram after that. As much faith as Abram had looking up to the stars that night, he still struggled with faith. Look 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 at verse look at verse 7 to 8. And he said to him, so Abram's talking back to God. Oh no, sorry, this is God talking, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, O Lord God, how am I to know that it shall be? How am I to know that I shall possess it? God, I believe, but help my unbelief. God, how will I know? Like, I I believe you, God, but help me to know it. And so what God does next is astonishing. Verse 9 says this, And he said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And before we think, here's um, God giving Abram a shopping list, right? Throw in some onion for that stew, some bay leaves. You always put bay leaves in stew, right? Abram knows, actually. It's not, it's not a shopping list. He, he knows immediately what, what God's doing, okay? God is going to make a covenant with him. A covenant. So verse 10 says, and he brought him all these things. Abram brings them. He cuts them in half. He lays each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And then when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. A covenant is a sort of agreement or contract. About a year ago, uh, we were looking for tenants. And so someone came by the house. Uh, he was a man from Texas. He was about a foot taller than me, a hundred pounds heavier than I am. He was very, very large man, cowboy boots. He just walks into the suite. He starts walking around like, well, we don't do that here. Uh, we take our shoes off. So he took his shoes off, begin, begin showing him around the place. Uh, we reconvene. He asks me a few questions. I, I, I help. Reassure him of all, all the things he wants to know. And then he just puts out his hand. And I was like, is it a side hug? He's like, he was like, and I'm like, oh, we're shaking on this. This is, this is, this is okay. This is, I guess this happens still. And so we, we shake hands. I, I walk him out to his car. He asked me a couple other questions. uh, And I'm like, look, if you, if you need like some time to think about this, you know, you can get back to me. He's like, no, we shook on it. I was like, okay, this is, wow. I'm, I'm, I was impressed. Then I realized, right, you have guns. So if someone breaks his word. You just deal with it. Um, now, we're, we're not Neanderthals. We're a civilized bunch. So we don't shake on things. We sign things. We 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 sign pieces of paper. That's how we form a contract, right? You have your terms and conditions. I have my terms and conditions. We bring in a witness. We sign the document. We hold on to a piece of that document. If you if you break your promise to me, I take you to court, and I and they make you do what you said you would do, right? But in the time of Abram, you didn't you didn't shake on something. You didn't sign something. What you did is you made a covenant. Actually, you cut a covenant. You, you would take a bunch of these animals and you would slaughter them. You would cut them in half. You would lay each half on one side of an aisle. The blood would flow into the middle and you would walk through the pieces. The bottom of your robe would have blood on it now, but you would walk. And when you walk, you're saying, look, if I don't keep my promise to you, may my life become like those animals. If I don't keep my end of the agreement, may my blood be shed. May my life cease to exist. It's very visceral and, and very effective and so he cuts these animals. He lays them on either side. And then verse 12, we read this. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. It's almost like this dark night of the soul is now coming upon Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain, he's reaffirming his promise, okay? It's my promise to you before we cut this covenant, before I walk down the aisle. "'Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners "'in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, "'and they will be afflicted for 400 years. "'But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, "'and afterwards they shall come out to the land "'that I promised you with great possessions. "'As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. "'You shall be buried in a good old age, "'and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, "'for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete.'" So God's saying, look, I will give you offspring. I will give you land. I will bless the ends of the world through you. I will make your name great. And then the most marvelous thing happens next. Verse 17 says, When the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold... A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. When Israel was at Mount Sinai, God showed up in the form of smoke and fire. When Israel marched their way through the wilderness, God was there in a pillar of cloud and by night it was smoke and fire. And now, in his dark night of the soul, Abram says, I saw smoke and fire pass through these pieces. God's saying that I passed through the pieces. God passed through the pieces. Abram, God says, I made a promise to you, and if I don't keep them, may I become like those animals cut in half? Would the infinite become finite? Will the all-powerful become powerless? Will the everlasting one become temporary? I will keep my promises to you, I swear by my very existence. But the question is then, what about Abram? (laughs) What about Abram? Okay, God, I know you'll keep your promises, but what about the promises I've made to you? What about me going and being? How do I know I'm going to end up keeping my side of the bargain? I think that's our greater fear is I don't know if I'll do what I'm supposed to do. In in chapter 12, right? So God makes those promises to Abram. He gives him the two commands. Go, be a blessing. He says, but I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you offspring. You want to know the very next thing that happens? There's a famine in Canaan, in the land that God's promised Abram. There's a famine And Abram goes, I'm out of here. I'm going to Egypt, endangering the promise of land. Then he gets to Egypt, and Abram goes, because this is the plan, Sarai, my wife, you're very beautiful. Pharaoh is probably going to want you as his own wife. And so this is what I want you to do. I want you to tell him that you're my sister. That way he doesn't kill me when he tries to marry you endangering the promise of offspring. In one chapter, Abram completely fails. And so Abram goes, God, I know you're going to keep your side of the promise, but it's only a matter of time before I fail keeping my side of the promise. And then what happens? In the time of Abram, When a covenant was made, both parties would walk through the pieces because both parties had something on the line. Or in the case where a king defeated another nation, normally just the weaker, the defeated king would walk through the pieces, right? The older, the the greater king would say, okay, you're going to pay me this much in taxes and the, and so the defeated king, he has to walk through very humbly, very fearfully, and go, okay, if I if I don't pay my end of the taxes, then, then I guess you will kill me. So both sides walk through, or just the weaker party walk through. But verse 17 says this. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And that's it. Abram doesn't walk through the pieces. This is the only time in the history of the world that we know a time when the greater party and the greater party alone walked through the pieces. This is what God's saying. This is the most marvelous verse, I think, in the Old Testament. God's saying, I will keep my promise to bless you. And if I do not I will pay the price. And if you don't keep your promise, Abram, I will still bless you and I will pay your price. Oh, <laughs> when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. It's the greatest verse. I actually think that that one verse is a summary of Christianity. Our right standing with God is not based on our merits, our goodness, our faithfulness, but on His. But on His. All we bring is faith. When we fail, God still keeps His promises. When we run from God, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. When we sin, God says, neither height, nor death, nor life, nor nothing. Nothing, including your own sin, can separate you from the love of Christ Jesus. When we feel guilt and shame, God says, no, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we are weak and weary and we have no strength, God says, I still keep my promise and I will build my church even if it costs him his life, which it did, which it did. We read this in Matthew 16. Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, this is his promise, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then you know what happens next? From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus, God come in human flesh, made a promise. I will build my church. And you know, the very next thing he did, he also walked. Not, not through the pieces though, but to the cross. And it's there he died. It's by his death that the church is built. It's by his death that God's promise to Abram and to the nations is fulfilled. Look, to an Israelite, Surrey is the ends of the world. (laughs) We We are a fulfillment of this promise made to Abram. We as his church who experience new life, hope of everlasting life, we get a foretaste of that curse being reversed. And so Christ City, we want to be a church that builds on the promises of God. Uh, Our hope is not in being new or shiny. It's not in doing something that's never done before that we're going to put our hope in. No, our hope is that God keeps his promises. And so in a world that wants to create its own truth, we will preach the Bible. Because God promised that his word will not come back void. In a world that wants to save itself, we will point to Jesus. Because he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. In a world without hope. In a world desperate for something certain. We will sing and worship Jesus. Because even though he died, he rose back to life and he is seated on the throne. He has a plan. He's working it out and he will come back and make all things new. And in a world that thinks they can have the good life on their own, we will be a sent people. We will go and tell them that no matter how good of a life you think you have, actually in Jesus, there is something greater. In his presence, there are pleasures forevermore. Our God keeps his promises, Christ city. Jesus died to guarantee it. He doesn't die on the cross and go, now you're on your own. He died to show you that he has you, that he loves you, and with that type of love, he'll never leave you or forsake you. And so no matter what you're going through right now, it's not because Jesus doesn't love you. It's because he does. And he sees. And he has you. And he's working it out.